As you probably know, Refuge is led by a team of elders. Uh, and a few months ago, we had we announced that Tom Jackson was uh, begun a candidacy process uh, to become an elder with us. And so we, we had him up here a couple of months ago. You guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, he's been meeting with us regularly, twice a month now, sometimes three times with the leadership team. Um, we ask that you as a congregation would be praying for him and Regina and the family through this process. We hope that you have. I also hope that you've made some time for some meaningful conversation, taking him out to coffee, uh, at least had some connection with him, got to know him a little bit better. Um, we are honored that he has prayerfully considered joining this team, joining uh, in this role to serve you as an elder. And tonight we're going to commission him as an elder here, and then he is going to teach, he's going to go through, I think he'll be in Daniel 7. Uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to take a quick second to do a little bit of a reminder on what an elder is. So... If you have your Bibles, you can go. It's not going to be on the slides, so you actually have to have your Bibles. 1 Timothy 3. We taught through 1 Timothy now, gosh, was that a year ago almost? Uh, and so we, I taught this passage almost a year ago. But we're going to read it real quick and then talk about it real quick, and then these guys are going to come up. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, for he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. One of the first things that should stand out in this passage is that it is not, in, this list is not extraordinary. These qualifications apply to all Christians. Elders are not superheroes. These, these qualifications, all except for able to teach, are repeated elsewhere as lists of general Christian characteristics. The point here is not that an elder is held to a different standard or a different uh, level. It's not like you reach like next level Christianity here. The point is the elders, our job is to set the pace. To set the pace of what, it, what we're going after together collectively as a church. N.T. Wright says it this way, the elder must be on the leading edge of the new humanity which the church is supposed to be. Their lives must embody and must represent the message that they are called to proclaim. They should display the gospel in the way they live. 
Like Paul, as elders, we should be able to say, be imitators of me as I am imitating Christ. At Refuge, we've tried to model our leadership structure this way. We've tried to structure our leadership around this, believing that it's our responsibility to set the pace and to live in a way that provokes the family of God to go hard after Jesus, to live a life in light of the gospel. So with that in mind, uh, I'd like to invite Tom and Regina up, Nikolai and Brent. Like I said, over the past few months, Tom's been meeting with us, going through um, all of our meetings. The goal of this candidacy, the goal of this season, has not been uh, for us to test him necessarily. It's, it's really for him to reflect on his calling, his character, competency, chemistry, and his availability. And uh, he's amazing, guys. He really is. He's been a joy to be a part of these meetings, get to know him more, and we are thrilled to take this next step with him. With that, so we, we do, we offer three things, and we're going to pray for him. And Nikolai is going to start us out. Tom, let me grab this here. <clears throat> you can come on up here. We're going to do some stuff here. So, Tom, we commission you to the Word, the Word of God. And this Bible represents that charge to minister to God's people by God's word, by his story, that you would never stray to the right or to the left, but faithfully follow the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and to teach others to do so. So I'll hand that to you. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says, as Paul said to Timothy, in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage, and with great patience and care, and I'm sorry, and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. With this uh, cloth, we also commission you to the service of the saints. Um, as Jesus did, um, we call you to follow in his footsteps and with meekness and humility to serve the body and serve the saints. I'm going to read from John 13. You know that before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to the place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should go and do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Tom, we encourage you with this towel to serve the body, serve the saints. And finally, we commission you to fulfill your ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit represented by the cup. This cup represents the joy, power, presence of the Holy Spirit filling you for this task which the Lord has called you. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 16 through 21, this prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit and the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And so Tom, final commissioning, we out of First Peter, we say shepherd God's flock that is under your care, watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not domineering over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock, as when the chief shepherd appears, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory which never fades. We're gonna pray for you guys. Team, if you wanna come on up. But yeah, go ahead and be filled. Pray for them. <laughs> Almighty God, in every age you have chosen servants to speak your word and to lead your people. We thank you for Tom. We thank you that you have called him to serve you as an elder here at Refuge to serve this family. God, give him gifts and a fresh anointing for this particular work. Remind him always that personally and in his ministry, 
He belongs to you and to you alone. Fill him with your Holy Spirit that he may have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus and that he may be a faithful disciple in all of life. Surround Tom with faithful and encouraging friends that will support him and his family in this call and in his life. May he know your faithfulness in every season and every situation. Father, thank you so much, not just for Tom, but also for Regina. Lord, thank you for um, the partnership that they have, Lord, under this covenant of marriage. And we know that this calling that you've uh, brought Tom to, Lord, we know that Regina is a part of that as well. So we pray for her as well. We pray that you would uplift her, Lord. Pray that their home would be a place to, to welcome uh, those who are not just in need, um, but, in, but in need of encouragement. Lord, we pray that you would build her up in her giftedness, that she might, Lord, be able to come alongside Tom, and Lord, to also serve your saints faithfully, Lord, with what you have given her as well. Lord, we pray you'd give her many opportunities, Lord, to shine the light that is within her, that you have given her the light that comes from you and that is you. Lord, we pray that Regina would, would be one to encourage Tom, Lord, in difficult times, that he would, that he would find in Regina a wonderful, help, a wonderful helper and fulfill the role that, was called, uh, that Eve was called to, Lord, to be a helper. I pray that she would uh, do the same with Tom. And Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in their home, in their household, and uh, in their family. I pray that you would strengthen them and instruct them pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just rejoice in this day. We've been looking forward to this, and we thank you for the Jacksons. Bless the work of their hands. Bless them in this new season, Lord. Um, protect them. Put a hedge of protections around them, around their souls, around their loves and their affections, and use them for your work a refuge, and in Sonoma County and abroad, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, and with that, I think Nikolai is going to read the passage, and Tom's going to open the word. I'm going to ask you all to stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to be reading verses 9 through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of, a great, of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, 
their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like uh, one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Student ministries, I'll see you in the back. Greetings to you all. I hope you uh, were ministered to through that, um, as well as my wife and I. uh, I I don't think I've ever felt quite as pierced by the Word of God as I have tonight, just standing up here, just sensing the responsibility. And I'll say a couple of things. I mean, right now I feel a little bit like a fire hydrant somebody ran over. (laughs) It's like skewing water everywhere. I just have... So many things going off in me right now. Um, I, I've, this is my, our 50th year, at least for me. It's a, my 50th year in serving Christ. And I'm just blessed to, to have been able to have the privilege to know what I know, to see what I see, to be received into his kingdom, uh, to be a member of his church. I mean, I could go on and on. One of the things we love about what's going on in our lives right now is you. And I really honestly mean that. I mean, when we first came here, we felt almost immediately that this is where we belong. We were in a season of kind of limbo and from our our older church had shut down a few years ago and uh, we showed up here and we've been just incredibly taken care of, loved, appreciated, I feel, in every way. And I think one of the things that makes me tick most has a lot to do with the day we're, the day that we're celebrating right now, which is Father's Day. Um, you know, I, before I even share what I want to share on uh, out of the passage, I want to say I, I want to, with everything in me that God has given me, bless you, but especially you fathers. I don't think I've ever, and I've got some lifetime span to say this. I think some, some, you know, some credibility to say this. And that is, I don't think anything is needed more in our culture, in our nation, probably in our city and town, than fathers who have a revelation of their responsibility, the tremendous gift you have of stewarding your children and raising them up in the Lord. Um, I I just want to, God, I pray your blessing over the fathers in this place tonight. And those who are not with us, maybe they're in with the kids or whatever, those who maybe had other priorities, but especially in this family, I pray for fatherhood. And pray, God, that you will make it crystal clear what a wonderful thing it is for us to be fathers, 
fathers in the natural, and perhaps even some of us will be raised into kind of a father in the spirit, because the spirit of fatherhood is, is permeates all of us if we'll allow it to. And I just thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> well, <clears throat> back to the passage we've been in. I want to say a few words about Daniel 7, and uh, just to kind of summarize a little bit where we've been, we just wrapped up uh, just the uh, kind of opening revelation Daniel was given about the four beasts, and uh, trust me, this is not an easy passage to pray, you know, to pray over and think, uh, what do I have to say about this passage, but I'm going to try my best here. Uh, of course, it was ending with the fourth kingdom, which we, we know Scripture reveals is probably the Roman Empire. And, <clears throat> but it's a, as we enter into that fourth beast, we see that it's hard for Daniel to even articulate what this creature is uh, and what it's even like. And I think that's somewhat because the very nature of the beast and the empire at that stage of where it was going, the very nature of it was, of course, so corrupt and so evil. And, uh, it, it, of course, it scared Daniel. It made him feel very uncomfortable. And uh, he asked for help just interpreting it. So, first of all, he sees what he, what he sees as the chapter opens, and eventually he'll come back around and he'll ask someone to, that's with him, probably an angel, to interpret what he sees. And they're, they're, they're slightly different perspectives on the same issues, I believe. But So as we open this passage, part of this passage, uh, it says thrones are, are being, you know, he sees out in the vision of the night and he sees thrones are being placed in it. And it speaks to me of God's order is being is settling in to that particular revelation that he's giving to Daniel and perhaps others. And um, we see that this is really, uh, this is God's counsel that's being assembled here. It's, it's God's authority, his order is being established to set the stage for some kind of judgment or activity or counsel or uh, advice even, you know, you could say, because God actually includes us in his decision-making uh, abilities. In fact, one of the, the words for father in the Hebrew, and it's just ab, it's the first letter of the alphabet, but then it can be adjusted slightly depending on how it's written with maybe a, another letter or two, but it's, it's where you get Abba. Abba Father, but the Father show. I believe we have the Ancient of Days show up on the scene, and in that situation, um, I think I think the Ancient of Days clearly speaks of the Father when we think of it in Trinitarian terms: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you know, it is fitting, I think, really, to talk about this passage today in particular, because. Everything is based, everything is generated from fatherhood, from the father. It doesn't make them any, any better or more important than wives. 
It's just a different function that fathers have. And so the Ancient of Days sits down, and then we have this little interlude where Daniel says suddenly all the noise he's hearing behind about the beast and so forth, all of a sudden he, the beast dies, is killed, is burned and destroyed. And as Nikolai, I really appreciate the way he brought that out because it was just, it's, it's like, it's almost like it's kind of secondary, like going on here. It's not even that important. It's just kind of stuck in almost as like a footnote in this passage. It's very, very interesting, kind of, kind of strange almost. Um, so the Ancient of Days is seated, and obviously there are others. The thrones is plural. But in comes someone else. And we, we could call him the cloud rider. I, I kind of like that phrase. I didn't coin it. But Jesus comes in the clouds of glory to be with them in this, this decision-making process with what's going on and what's being shown to Daniel. And um, this, this person is called the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And what's so important about this is that the Son of Man is, the, is the, the title or name Jesus most commonly gives himself when he's walking on the face of the earth here in terms of the, uh, the, the role he's walking out to be the Son of God, but to also be the Son of Man. And uh, this, again, it shows he is the Son First and foremost, he is the son, meaning he is, he is in a relationship with the father. He says at one point in his ministry, if you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And that's, that's an incredible statement because it's basically showing that uh, fatherhood is really revealed by Jesus first and foremost, uh, for us as human beings, as men and women. Uh, it, it speaks of his incarnation. It speaks of his humility, his manhood. Uh, the great council of Chalcedon, um, maybe the 7th, 6th or 7th century, debated whether Jesus was God or just a man. And they ended up coming to the astounding conclusion that he was both 100% and they're both divine in the sense that because he's the man doesn't mean he's lesser than God. It means he is the God-man who speaks of God's divine purposes uh, through that his, his uh, stewardship of the incarnation. Um, He's tempted like us. He suffers like us. That's an incredible thing. I mean, the, the, one of the things that so resonates, I think, to us about the story of God is that innately, because we're made in his image, innately we relate to that story. In fact, I would say all the great stories of literature and history primarily they're great because, to some degree, they're giving acknowledgement to the big story. 
even though in some cases people don't understand it, they certainly don't understand it fully, but the fact that we have a God who sends us a hero in the midst of our fallenness, our defeat, and raises us up to victory is incredible. That's the story we all, I mean, just you think of adventure movies, you think of books you've read, you think of like Tolkien, The Hobbit, uh, how much what, what, what made Tolkien so important is he had the gift and the intelligence to truly try to create worlds kind of like God would do. And he, he keys off of the great big story. And, and, you know, and people who don't even understand Christianity relate to that story when they hear it because it, it resonates with something deep within us. Uh, and it, and, and, but Jesus, as the Son of Man, he, he is fully man. He is fully man. He was tempted in every point like we are. That's incredible if you think about it. It means also, Trinitarian-wise, it means he had the Holy Spirit working in his life. He, he, had to, he had to work with the Holy Spirit the same way we do, folks. That's what's so amazing about what God has given us, the opportunity we have right now to be given the Holy Spirit, to be indwelling in and dwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we come up against temptation, when we come up against suffering, we can be praying to God and expecting the Holy Spirit who is present with us. Jesus is up at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us. But, but the Holy Spirit is also present in us to be able to communicate with the Father and Son and, and to really let us in on what, what God wants right now from our lives. If I ask you right now, do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? What would be your answer? Do you talk to the Holy Spirit? Do you believe the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you? Do you have a relationship with God? Our God is a relational God. The Trinity, it's, we're, our whole faith is built on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they have a relationship. So the most important, we can study the Bible to the, the cows come home, for, you know, but if we don't have a relationship, it's not going to do us any, any good. It's the relational aspect of God. He wants us to humble ourselves, bow before the throne, Love him, love him to death. I mean, saying, um, this is the plan and story of God. It's it's, in, it's incredible. So in Chalcedon, they 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 said, really, God has two natures. Jesus Christ has two natures. He is God, Son of God, and He is Son of Man. Jesus, I think, used personally son of man more frequently because I think that's who he was. If you read Philippians chapter 2 where he empties himself, he, he, he views God's Godhead. <laughs> he views the Godhead as for his mission on earth, he has to yield that up. He has to give up his authority. He has to give up... Uh, his 
um, his glory in the same way that we have to give up our pride, our position at times, what God, our, the gifts that we have. And Jesus has laid down, it says, has emptied himself of everything that would like be, okay, you're cheating in the game, Jesus. You're God, so you're, you know, it's not fair to compare us with you. No, that's not what's going on. It is totally fair because he went through everything we are going through by example. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's, it's Bible. It's Bible for sure. But do I believe that? That's, I mean, we all get challenged in our day-to-day -day faith at times. So now back to the Ancient of Days and, and, and Jesus' participation in that particular council that Daniel's a part of. He's witnessing something very powerful going on. He's just seen the coming of the Son of Man. And I think for Daniel, he must intuitively, intuitively at least sense the, the messianic, the, the godly uh, event that's going on at that moment. So, someone else has appeared visibly, personally, on the scene that carries the authority of the one God Almighty. What happens next is very, very important. This is, this is such a power. I feel so un, <laughs> so incapable of actually ministering on this passage tonight. I, I'm going to let you know. I mean, it's, honestly, it's, you know, I've struggled with it the last week trying to prepare. What, what would I say? What, what am I going to say? But at this point, at this point <clears throat> the Ancient of Days turns over the kingdom uh, to Jesus Christ, and then eventually he turns it over and it's given to the saints of the Most High God. And it says his glory, his dominion, and his kingdom shall all reign and rule forever. That shall never pass away. The glory, I think, represents his presence, the mantle, the priestly mantle, the kingly anointing that was on Christ. The dominion, I think, really relates to his, his ownership of the earth. The devil's God of this world only as far as it, he had the authority that he was given. Now a new authority is going to take over, and that's Jesus Christ. And the kingdom his rulership, his crown. Uh, how many of you, you know, we live in days which I think kingship has actually kind of a bad rap. And I certainly understand that because there have been some pretty ugly rulers over history and time. But uh, the gospel we preach is identified as the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of the church. 
certainly not the gospel of the world. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. How do we relate to kingship? Do we love it? Our, our country was so bothered by it at the founding, they had, to, they had to call it a president rather than a king because they were trying to every, everything they could to avoid the abuses kings had taken uh, in Europe and in, over church history, much of which there are also some really good sides to that story, but good kings and good rulers. But, you know, kingship's not really popular in our time. Uh, What's popular is classic liberalism, which is the autonomous, self-contained self, you know, I have authority over everything in my life. I don't need anyone else. If it put really push comes to shove. That's, that's what we're up against when we really proclaim kingship. We proclaim kingdom. And I also want to say, and this makes me tick a lot. This is back to getting to know me a little bit and what makes me tick and our eldership, our leadership, and our congregation would be, uh, I really believe that the gospel of the kingdom really means it's all his. Now that may sound a little simplistic, but I think that's what kingship represents and the kingdom of God represents. The church represents people who are of the faith, who are believers in Jesus Christ. But it's not the gospel of the church, or else the church would be self-serving. And unfortunately, I don't think this is well understood in our culture, our Christian culture, even today. I think it's something that needs to be worked on. It's something we need to proclaim. We need to search our own hearts and dig up. Because the kingdom really is, it covers every dimension of life. Is there a dimension of life or a sphere of life that Jesus doesn't rule? I challenge you with that. And, and what that does is you flip that around, it also means is there a dimension or part of life that we have no right or entry to? that we have no responsibility for. I mean, I think, we, I think we're in a place in our culture right now where for, for among Christians, we really understand how much the family means to us and how important the family means. And technically, family government is different than civil government or family government is different than the media. And they're all areas of life that we must look at and see where has God placed us and what is the message he's given us for every particular situation we're in, hopefully, you know. But <clears throat> I think it's a very important distinction to realize because the gospel of the kingdom means we are going after the whole, not we personally, but Jesus is wanting to offer us through grace, the, the city of God comes down from heaven. The heaven comes to earth. That's God's grace, 100%. We're not going to build any kingdoms. It's the kingdom he has built, but we're going to proclaim it. We're going to get to know it well enough to, no matter where we find ourselves, maybe it's out on the job daily, 
in the work you do. I do insurance. Uh, every day I'm trying to pray. <laughs> I'm trying to pray that God will keep me open to, for opportunities to be able to share with people I deal with. But even more importantly, there is something about to be said because I'm a Christian. I want to try to do the best job I can to, give, to meet their insurance needs because it's a very real need. And it's especially right now we're going through a crisis with all the fires and everything else that's happened. Uh, that's kingdom. It's not church. See, I'm not going to find that, that, those opportunities in church, especially considered in, in, as the building. Church is, of course, more than that. But uh, does that resonate? You see where I'm after, what I'm trying to dig for here, is that you have a responsibility 24-7. And I don't mean that big heavy thing. I'm just saying... You have a responsibility, meaning you have to be available to Christ as best you can. God knows I miss it every day at times, but I am trying to really walk out the implications of that. <clears throat> when uh, we know in the story that goes back a couple of chapters in Daniel that we, you know, the Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, Daniel interprets it. It turns out that it's a statue that represents the four major kingdoms of the empire, uh, the empire changing from Babylon to Persia, Medes, and then from there to Greece, and then from there to Rome. And that's the stages of this powerful empire that's going on. Um, then what happens? We're all, uh, in all this awe of this great statue. And wow, this dream is pretty amazing. What happens next? A rock not made with hands comes into view and then hits the statue at its vulnerable point of the toes and feet of mixture of clay and iron and totally disintegrates the statue so much so that Whatever remnant is, it says it just blows off in the wind like the dust or like uh, the chaff from a, from a threshing floor. Now, let me get, take you back for a second. What, did, what, ha what was the, probably the most important event in Peter's life? And Jesus turned around and said, you're the rock. Now, that's a sensitive area for some people. Catholics think that's the basis for the Pope. What if, in fact, what Jesus was saying he was going to build upon was not uh, Peter's personal life? Of course, Peter, Peter goes on to betray the Lord three times. So we know Peter's got his own feet of clay. So what was Jesus after there? What was he trying to commend him for? He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Is it possible that the rock is the revelation Peter had? He could finally confess out of revelation, which is, by the way, a big theme in, in, in Daniel. That's the title, the apocalypse. That's the unveiling. That's the, that's the, the uh, <clears throat> revealing, the reveal of God's purposes in a deep and profound way. When, G when Jesus revealed to Peter that he was the Christ, 
and, and, and the Father revealed to him as well. I mean, the whole Trinity, I'm sure, was involved. But Peter, he got it. He suddenly got it. He stepped out, this case, he stepped out boldly and said, I think you're the Christ. See, Jesus hadn't been talking about that hardly at all at the, at that, up to that point because he was, he was waiting for these guys to get a firsthand personal revelation of what they really believed. And at that moment, Peter had enough to say, I'm just going to step my neck, stick my neck out here. I'm just going to say you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, what's the implication of that? There's two rocks I'm mentioning here. Is it possible that the one rock is based on the revelation and the people who view that revelation that is going to really up in those empires? <clears throat> I, I believe so. I believe the rock in many ways is, represents the church too. Because uh, we, we, that's the qualification for being a member of Christ's body is that we have a revelation and, and that we can be born again. We, our lives are regenerated because of what we see and what we believe. <clears throat> I'm almost done, Mayor. <clears throat> I'm going to shift for a minute here and just go and remind, remind us of something else. That, you know, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation have a lot in common. Hopefully you know that. Uh, but certainly, certainly try to dig around in that and study that, that reality uh, more if you can. Uh, Daniel's kind of like the prequel and Revelation is kind of the final, you know, chapter. Um, Jesus has a word to all the seven churches in uh, Asia Minor there in the Revelation that he's giving to John. And he says there's seven churches, there's seven spirits to those churches, there's seven lampstands. But then he, he, he goes after each one uniquely uh, and specially and personally. He goes after each one of the churches and he kind of, <laughs> kind of dresses them down a little. He, he, uh, and now it's kind of like a, a job evaluation, you know, you know how, you, how much you love those, right? When your boss says, I want you to fill this out and then have a, you know, we're going to connect next week and have a little reevaluation re of how things are going. And that's what Jesus is doing in the bigger picture here. He's saying, okay, here's some things you're really doing really well. I commend you. I applaud that. Here's some things you could do so you, you could work on a little better. <laughs> you know, you could work on this. You could uh, maybe cut some of this, this fat out of your, uh, your, uh, your schedule. And, uh, but with every, all seven churches, he ends with this challenge. And the challenge is, can you overcome? When we're talking about the kingdom and, and all the, 
quote eschatology and the end times and Russia and you know, <laughs> things we all get off on Israel. And um, it, it's frustrating. In fact, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know, gosh, it's just it, sometimes it's kind of maddening trying to just kind of match up all the symbols and the dates you know that line up and. And God hasn't actually made that totally easy, but you know, as long as we've got a few more Nikolais in here and, and Johns, and hopefully it'll get clearer. But you know, in, in every case, He challenged them to be an overcomer, and I think that's based on one really important question when we're dealing with this stuff in Daniel and Revelation, and that is. I think why he's doing what he's doing is perhaps more important than when. We get really hung up on the when, the dates, trying to make it all line out, make sure that it all fits like a nice puzzle. But I think you've got to ask yourself, when you go through this and you see the challenges the church is facing with these empires, I'm telling you, there's going to be, this This is very much on the agenda of where we need to be in our world right now and in our culture and in our nation right now and in our communities. Back to Jeremiah 27.9, uh, if we seek the welfare of our cities, we will reap the welfare from our cities. That word welfare actually is shalom. It's the peace, the shalom, which is a little bit more complex than just absence of conflict. So we're facing some things that I think, as long as we know the word of God, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to get through. And I think we, we see there's opportunities in here, even, even ultimate issues life and death issues, that we can see Jesus set an example. He did allow himself to suffer and be persecuted, to be beaten, to be killed, to be hung on a cross, the most despicable way of death and probably one of the most painful. Jesus overcame all of that. Okay, what are we supposed to do with the 2,000 plus years since he came the first time? If he came the first time, what did he do? One of the things he says is, all authority is given to me on heaven and earth. How much does he not view as his authority in that statement? All authority and power is given to me on heaven and earth. Now, that's just Jesus, right? But Jesus says, or through Paul in Ephesians, you're seated with him in heavenly places even now. So, Paul can say, I pray that you always triumph in Christ. And where am I going with this? I think you smell where I'm going. I think when the rock breaks the empire, we're part of that rock in Jesus Christ. 
And we, we need to take the courage to be who, who we can be as really honest proclaimers of the kingdom of God. That we see the opportunities for overcoming are in our lives. What is Jesus waiting for in the second coming? Why is it taking so long? What is the problem here? Or is, or do we need to look inside and say, God, what must I be doing here? What, do you, what would you have me do, Lord? Like Peter says at the end when he's trying to work through his stuff with Jesus after betraying him, uh, Jesus said, you know, as you get older, somebody else is going to dress you. Somebody else is going to help you. And, and well, we're all facing that, that time frame. What are we doing with this 2,000 years? Do we fear it? Do we get angry at it? Or do we look at it as a golden opportunity to show Christ's kingdom and who Jesus Christ is? is the most loving, compassionate king we will ever know. Some, some rewards of being overcomers. The tree of life will be given to you, says Jesus. He says this to the different churches, but the crown of life, hidden manna, a white stone will be, with a new name will be given to you. Power over nations. We didn't spend a lot of time talking this. It was more in my notes, but nation, nationalism could be a very strong idol in our time. But nations comes from the word ethnos, which just means each, not only do individuals have a unique place, but nations are uniquely created for their time, their place, their purpose. The nations belong to Jesus. There's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. He gives us the name of God. He makes a pillar in his temple. He, he, he brings us in to sit with Christ on his throne. Those are all promises to overcomers. I want, you to, I want you to chew on these things, okay? And uh, obviously, it's, I threw a lot of stuff in there that could be new. I don't know. You know. I don't know well enough where we all are on some of this. But if this resonates, I want you to just pray into it and just say, God, God, you know, prepare us for what, what is coming. You know? let, us, let us have joy in our families. Let us have joy in our cities. Right now in this city, I feel like we're, hold, we're hanging in the balance of what this city could be, Santa Rosa, California. And I think if we really pray into these things and ask God, he will make it clearer. I mean, I want to point out, just, just for an example, Britain and what's gone on with the royal uh, RFK. Uh, I think that is a, a great example of what God is doing with us as a people with, with us in terms of making disciples, in terms of people that you're working with, the kids that you're working with. And there, there's just, there's got to be thousands of other things like that. But certainly there'll be at least a few things like that that we maybe do together 
as well as individually. Uh, so pray into that, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pray right now and ask us to really receive and benefit from the words I've shared. Father, we just come before you right now. We're awfully quiet. I hope that's a good thing. But I pray, God, this will not be overwhelming to us in any way. And thankfully, we've got some people with probably a better sense of humor than I do in this place. <laughs> but uh, God, we, we pray, we offer up to you. We want to glorify you. We want to proclaim the gospel that is your gospel. In Christ's name, amen. Amen, all. respond.